0: Finally, it's time to talk about a truly mesmerizing and perhaps all-time great performance of one of the terrific Indians relievers this season. And after we're done talking about Anthony Goes, we'll also discuss Emmanuel Clase. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable! Yeah, buddy. The question is no longer is he worth rostering, it's what inning does Anthony Ghost pitch in, and why is the answer not all of them?
1: Yeah, I mean, is there a reliever you'd rather see out there on the mound, aside from Emmanuel Cosset right now? No. Which sounds insane to say after,
0: what, three appearances? Well, I mean, it's not only he's been good in performance or well, great in performance, but also it's just the novelty act has not worn off yet. It's still pretty cool. Anytime somebody walks in the room, it's kind of like uh, watching the Lord of the Rings, the two towers. You have to tell everyone, hey, Aragorn broke his toe when he kicked that helmet for real. He actually screams on the in the movie. And it's because he actually broke his toe. It's it's like, hey, hey get into this room, get in this room. Look, this guy used to be an outfielder and now he's throwing 100 miles per hour. Isn't that awesome? And my wife's just like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll see you later then. <laughs> it's like, what? no, don't you realize how cool this is? This is fantastic. Well, when you put it like that,
1: you completely lose me. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. But yeah, uh, he throws really hard, and his slider really interesting. And I think they like him. I think, I think you can put him in your, I don't know, when you're sketching out the 2022 bullpen think you can throw him in there
0: um which was wondering if that was ever going to happen and here we are yeah i want to talk a little bit more about some of the the cool data we've gotten so far on him and it's it's fun because the team has had this sort of stuff but we're kind of new to it and we get to maybe dissect some of what makes him so good and i think that's important we talked about that when he first came up performance yeah i mean you're looking for it but you're looking more for the input right that's that's what you're you're Concerned about are the are these things repeatable? Are they the type of 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 attributes that would lead to success most typically, at least with that which is what you would think? And so I think it'll be fun to, to dive into that because we got some some pretty cool data on him so far. But all jokes aside, it has been a truly great season for Emmanuel Classe. and I know he hasn't gotten a pitch a ton in September. But without uh, too much going on this week, and we're a week away from starting to really dissect what happened this year before we. Look ahead to the off season. Thought there would be no better time to look at the season that he's had because we did this a little bit recently with Jose Ramirez. Sometimes he gets lost in the shuffle because you're so concerned about answering questions in the outfield and who's going to be the starting second baseman. You can lose sight of the guys that have just been great and that you you don't pencil in you pen them in. They're you're, they're in with a sharpie because they've been that truly special. And maybe we've lost sight at times of how good Emmanuel Clase has been because. There haven't been a ton of those close games that you're really concerned what happens here in the last month or so. But if you look at the numbers and you stack them up against some of the other Indians' relief seasons of all time, I think you'll find that he's going to find his way into the top 10 in pretty much every category. Yeah, you know, it was weird because for so long he was not locked
1: into that closer role and he was jockeying back and forth with James Karinchek. And you wondered, what's the, what is this going to look like in the end? And, If this, just in the crazy case that this team is playing meaningful games down the stretch, who is pitching when? And that's a moot point now, because Klasse kind of surfaced or or rose to the top. Karachuk's pitching at AAA. And honestly, really, ever since Karachuk started struggling, Klasse has gone the other direction. Um, He's been fantastic in the second half. Uh, He had a stretch where... He had allowed like one run over 28 and two thirds innings, I think. Um, and you're right. I mean, if you're thinking of the best relief seasons in team history, you're thinking of names like Cody Allen, Andrew Miller, Jose Mesa. Doug Jones is on there a couple times. times, um, but that's it. And that's pretty exclusive company. And you have to keep in mind that this is a guy who's still technically a rookie because he didn't pitch at all last season and wasn't really – Around the team. Um, So it's impressive. And I'll be curious to see. What happens in that rookie of the year race. But yeah. You look at the numbers. And it's. I think people had high expectations for him. Because of the pure stuff. But no one could have anticipated this. And the consistency. And again. When you're thinking about. Like you said. The things the team is looking for. Is that it's not just about the numbers this year because it was such a weird herky jerky transition year and a year coming off of a shortened season. And you're looking for the input. Does the stuff work? Does the the delivery do the mechanics look like they can translate over to a, a long successful career? And with him, every, every input, the answer is yes. And so you're looking at the roster and you're saying, all right, do you feel better about this guy now than you did in April or May? He checks that box. And then you're just thinking of who can you write down in Sharpie on that roster for 2022? And uh, he's near the top of the list of, of guys you
0: feel most comfortable doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the interesting thing about him before we get into the numbers too much is that how much he got better because you knew he threw the 100 mile per hour cutter and occasionally mixed in a slider. But as we talked about really early in the year, not a big swing and miss guy. He's going to keep the ball on the ground, maybe limit some of the hard contact. So, so when you see 101 miles per hour on the board, you think, well, no one's going to be able to touch him as far as just making contact. It wasn't always the case, but we saw him throughout the year progressively get better. And some credit goes to him. Some credit goes to the, the, the staff that always is somehow going to get the best out of their pitchers. Um, and so my, I guess my next thought is what does he do in the off season to get even better than where he's at right now? Um, that'll be interesting. And, and, does it translate to the numbers? Because it's going to be <laughs> really hard to be, have a 135 ERA carry that throughout an entire season. Sometimes your your input could be even better, but the production doesn't always match up. Bad luck, especially for a guy that keeps the ball on the ground. Sometimes just batting average on balls in play does you win. But I, that's that's my next curious thing for him because we saw him trust the slider a little bit more and it made him a little bit more of an unhittable pitcher, led to a few more strikeouts and a few more swing and miss types of, of efforts and and that's a that's something you're looking for in a reliever i think you you'd, you'd like to guy have a guy back there that misses some bats in addition to keep the ball on the ground and that's what's really truly uh, maybe exciting about him is that he's still young enough that maybe with some tweaks to the arsenal you could see a guy that could conceivably get any more dominant could could that actually happen well i think part of the reason why i mean
1: usually you and i are on here yelling about how your best reliever needs to just pitch in the highest leverage situation. And I, I still agree with that no matter the inning. Uh, But with him, it's a little different because, because of that profile where he's, yeah, the strikeout numbers are fine. They're not going to blow you away. Sometimes it might just make sense to let him pitch the ninth or, or pitch a clean inning instead of bringing him on. I know the stuff he does induce a lot of weak contact. And so if you need a double play, maybe he's your guy, but if it's like, second and third or something with nobody out and a tie game in the seventh. Like, I don't think he would be my choice. And so I think it's almost okay that they're just saying he's our closer. He's going to pitch the ninth. I I honestly like don't even have a huge issue with that. I think there, again, there are some circumstances when it makes sense to use him earlier. But I mean, you said it. I mean, the the pitches have such movement. And ever since he started going to the slider more midseason, I think it's just made it so that hitters... Can't just sit on that 101 mile an hour heat. I mean, I he's thrown 444 pitches at 100 miles an hour or faster this season, and that's more than twice as many as anybody else. Jose Alvarado of the Phillies is second at 206, and so 44.3 percent of his pitches have been 100 miles an hour or more, and like that's that's impressive. But it also just depends on pitch usage. Um, I mean, he's far and away better. Like, there's a lot of guys in, like, the 0.5% range to 2% range. And then there's, like, a handful of guys above that. And that's it. And he's at 44% of his pitches. But, obviously, that depends on how much you're using your slider. If he just wanted to go cutter every pitch, that'd be a lot higher. But the thing that's impressive, I mean, he has such a good baseline, a good foundation, because you can't lift that cutter. Like you're not, I think he's given up two home runs this season. So you're not going to be able to put the ball in the air. You're not going to be able to, to hit it very hard because it's coming in on your hands or it's tailing away at 101, 102. So there's not much you can do if you're a hitter. And that's why it's when you've seen him run into trouble, it's like three blue pits and a, an error, a, <laughs> an infield single or something like it takes a lot of wackiness to scratch across a run against him. So it's a good baseline to have. If he can add more swing and miss and, and elevate that strikeout rate, that's great. But I mean, he's obviously proven mighty successful with, with the way he's approached
0: things this season. So if you look at it, and I know FIP isn't always the best way to evaluate a pitcher. and You get noise in anything you're going to do. Even if you're looking at ERA for a reliever, I mean, sometimes that's it's so misleading. But it's, it's kind of all we have to go on, at least when you're looking at wins above replacement at Fangraphs, where a lot of that is going to be based on the the elements that a pitcher can control. How often are you striking somebody out? How often are you walking a guy? What about the home runs? And you take all that into account, and it helps come up with that. It's a big part of the, the war formula at Fangraphs. So if you use that, and we looked back through, I, I, I set the parameters back to the 80s, because you're going further back than that. It, and trying to separate relievers. I mean, I'm already getting a, a Dan Spillner season spilling in, if you will, at 133 and two thirds relief innings in 1982. Hey, you got a problem with Dan Spillner? I don't. Yeah, that's with his six strikeouts per nine innings. He had the the volume of innings. Yeah, he won 12 games coming out of the bullpen, 21 saves, 65 games, 33 and two thirds innings with a 2.49 ERA. You shouldn't be ripping Is that the on random that. inning of the day. <laughs> no, not yet. Um, so that was worth 2.6 wins above replacement, according to Fangrass. But I, I looked it up. I went back. And if you go back to 1988, that's where Doug Jones ranks first in wins above replacement Indians relief seasons. And he had a, a 3.7 war, saved 37 games in 51 appearances in 83rd, 83 and a third innings. And th- the reason why it gets a little bit difficult is because even in that season, you, you had more multiple innings. It, it became a little bit of a different animal once you got into the nineties and then certainly past that. So that's as far back as I went in that Doug Jones season ranks first. We've talked about the two 2007 Raphael Betancourt season, but if you go back through this season so far for class, A, with a week to go, he's at ninth with a 2.1 wins above replacement. Now, some of that he's going to be hurt, but he doesn't have the healthy strikeout totals that, you know, Cody Allen had in his heyday um, and, there were some instances where Doug Jones continues to rank highly because he got tons of volume, but you look at this season, I think you, once you kind of factor everything in and maybe you subtract some of the, the performances from a reliever that was asked to do different things in the eighties, would you say this is a top, are we nearing top five all time Indians relief season?
1: Yeah. I I just think the role of reliever has changed so much over the years as you touched on. So I I almost think we should just limit this to like the last 30 years maybe. Like I I hate just eliminating 3 Doug Jones seasons because <laughs> he was a good pitcher. He was very yeah, effective. He was very good. Um but it's just a little different. Uh I mean the strikeout rate is different. I mean it it's weird that he's got You're right. Like the volume plays such a role in this because there was a year where he had 91 innings and you look at the ERA and it's 3.15 and strikeout rate he struck out eight guys per net like it's not doesn't look great on paper. Um, and that was only forty-nine appearances. He was pitching two innings at a time. So it's just so different. Um, but if you so if we look at like the last, I guess you could say the wild card era, maybe, um, since or since like the player strike in ninety-four, like I McClasse mean, is tied in war with Jose Mesa. And that always seems like the best relief year of all time in franchise history, just because he didn't give up runs and he just was a machine automatic at racking up saves. Uh he had a one thirteen ERA that year. And they're right behind Andrew Miller in twenty seventeen, who was just another species. So yeah, I mean it, it's definitely top five, right? Betancourt, Allen,
0: Miller, Mesa, class A. Yeah. I, I that's probably where I would rank it. Yeah, I was and I was having trouble with trying to decide what to do with those Doug Jones seasons because it was a it was a different a different role, certainly. But if you look at, let, let's just say, pure run prevention, the ERA, it's the second best Indians relief season as far as what Fangrass would consider qualified relief seasons dating back to that period. You had the Jose Mesa with the 1.13, as you touched on, and then Emmanuel Clause with a 1.35. Better than Wait, Miller. Keep going. Better than Betancourt. Better than Dan Otero. Uh-huh. He had a, a really good 2016 season. I know that gets kind of lost, but he was really good in 2016. And so you may be thinking, well 95 2021 completely different eras of baseball, right? True. So that's why you have ERA minus. You can go back through and compare it to what the league average was at that point and see if it's more special, less special, somewhere on par. Jose Mesa's 1995 season, the ERA minus was 24. You can do the math. 100 is league average. Emmanuel Clase is second at 31. That tells you that, yeah, the ERA is sparkling. And compared to the league, it's equally as sparkling. Uh, if you're looking at pure run prevention from an ERA standpoint, I don't know, errors are factored in. So, uh, yeah, that gets a little murky at times. But as as far as just purely keeping runs off the board at the rate of innings that you're pitching, Emmanuel Classe is the second best Indians relief season among qualified relievers at fan drafts. Pretty special. Yeah, and I think there's a, Bigger picture take here, which is you have
1: him under control through 2026, right?
0: No, here we go. You can't even just appreciate the good season we have to be thinking about. How long he's (laughs) going to be here until he gets traded? Thanks, Zach. That's not where I was going. Debbie Downer.
1: Uh, You have this guy for five more seasons if you want him. And that's there's a lot of value there. And you acquired that value. And look, we... Ragged on the Kluber trade for a couple different reasons at the time. Um, a lot of it because of the timing of the trade and not capitalizing on Kluber's value and not making the most of the situation, uh, just team wide, as it appeared that team was running out of chances to make a run at a title. Um, but you got Class A for an inning of Corey Kluber, and it's pretty remarkable. Um, just in terms of how those two careers have gone since that trade. So it's it's definitely a good thing. I mean, relievers are volatile. You you can't I can't guarantee you class A is gonna have a 135 ERA for the next five seasons, but what a good starting point in your bullpen. And you have someone you can trust. I mean they, they came into the season knowing very little about this guy. So it took a little bit of time, especially in spring training, I think, to gain some trust and to to understand where he could fit in the bullpen complexion. And then it was, I think he just knocked their socks off. I mean, <laughs> yeah, were it wasn't you very long.
0: We know how Terry Francona, it can take him a while to warm up to a reliever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some, And sometimes it can happen as quickly as a few appearances, and he helps him out, and all of a sudden he's thrown into the fire, or he just doesn't have anybody and he's pitching somebody at Yankee stadium that he shouldn't be. I'll let you reveal who that is. <laughs> Alexio Gondo It <the> is. <laughs> All right. Were you surprised at how quickly, I mean, you're coming off of a year where he was suspended in 2020. So you've got to win back some trust in some ways. And it happened pretty damn quickly. Maybe just, you just look at the stuff and you say that plays, <laughs> we're going to plug him in there, regardless of whether or not we, he's built up that trust. But I thought that said a lot about him. And their faith in him—that they were just thrusting him into those situations without having a lot of that faith in him or reason to have faith in him yet.
1: Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think you. I mean, they saw it in spring training at 2020 a little bit. He was kind of inconsistent. Um, I think there were some questions about maybe the—I don't want to say work ethic necessarily, but just how how invested are you in in being an elite reliever because you've got this amazing pitch. So can you build an arsenal around it? Can you make it as effective as it can be? And then he got hurt that spring, and then it was a pandemic, and then he got suspended. So there was just a lot of unknowns, and I think he came to spring training. I mean, he worked at the Arizona Complex a little bit last fall. Um, I think that was a big step. And then this spring, I think he was just, I think, like you said, I mean, okay, that's going to be hard enough for guys to hit. So let's let's start there you can pitch in some higher leverage situations i think they went into the season trusting karen check more wanting nick wickren to be part of that back end brigade um you know the guy that was lost in the in the shuffle kind of because of class a's quick ascension was phil Maton, who went from pitching in like the eighth inning to relieving logan allen in the second inning every night uh but yeah, I mean, it didn't take long for for him to grow, and and you've seen the repertoire evolve throughout the season with that slider, which I mean, who else throws a ninety four mile an hour slider? By the way, it's just insane. <laughs> yeah. Maybe ghosts, but yeah, it, <laughs> it's a it's, it's That's about it. <laughs> it's it's just been such a necessary development throughout the season, and they go into next year not having to worry about
0: who is the anchor of that bullpen. Are you ready to relive the 10 worst FIP seasons from relievers going yes. back to 1994? Are you ready? Let's do it. Why are we like this? Why are we the way that we are? <laughs> <laughs> we can't just... Are we including <laughs> position players pitching? No, no. This is a this is qualified leaderboards here, okay? Because no, I see t- David Murphy in 2015 <laughs> had a FIP of 60. Hey, that guy once performed with two baseballs on the field. Okay, so let, let's cut them a little bit of slack. The worst FIP season, according to Fangraphs, since 1994 in the Cleveland Indians' bullpen belongs to, wait, should I go in reverse order or worst of 10th? Let's go with 10th to first. Okay, 10th, in 10th place, the 1999 season of Steve Reed with a 4.93 FIP. In 9th place, 2006, Fernando Cabrera, I thought he was next. gonna be so good. What happened? Yeah, that didn't work out. 501 with the FIP there. Number eight, 2013, Chris Perez. Woof. Wow. Five oh was, a, was he an all star that year? In twenty thirteen. I don't remember. Was I mean he
1: a two time th- All Star. And those two years were eleven and twelve. Okay. I know he lost his job late in the season that year. Yeah.
0: And went on a media ban. Yeah, that was all bad. All right. Uh, in seventh place, 1997. Uh, the Poor guy was so good in his Indians career. Doesn't get the credit he deserves, but it's Eric Plunk. He was with a with random a, jersey sighting. 5.17. Yeah, that's very true. Uh-oh. And hide your eyes. People said he's not random. Hide your eyes when you're watching the pregame and postgame show because it's 2009. Jensen Lewis ranking sixth with a 5.18 FIP. In fifth place, 2010, Tony Sipp. With a 5.32. Wait, what was Sip's FIP? Sip's FIP was 5.32. And what trade was he included in? The Trevor Bauer. Shinsu Chu. Often gets forgotten. Brian Shaw.
1: Matt so Albers.
0: Kind of because of Tony Jason Sip, Donald. You have uh, Franmil Reyes. Kind of. Uh, number four. Sure. Uh, this is kind of unfair. It's a shortened season, but it's 2020 Cam Hill. 5.43. In third place, 2003, Terry Mulholland, (laughs) 5.44 with the FIP. In second place, unfortunately, and I understand why they're going to keep him around, but this is a Rule 5 pick from this season, Trevor Steffen, with the 5.58 FIP. Where do you stand on him? What? Where do you stand on him? Ah!
1: There are he's enough, kind of a three true outcomes pitcher, no high walk rate, high strikeout rate, high home run. I rate.
0: think he's still in the development stage, and he's picking up a new pitch. What is it? A, a split change that he picked up from Blake Parker, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm willing to give it a little bit more time because he can get it up to 98, 99 miles per hour. Uh, but uh, this season has not been great, memorable. I don't know. And the the last one. The first, the top spot, 2004. Any guesses? Yeah, I'm looking at the leaderboard. What the hell? It's Rick White. I didn't know this was a surprise. (laughs) Neither did I. That's how the show goes. (laughs) I don't know. We never know what direction we're going. Come on.
1: Um, Rick White wore double zero, didn't
0: he? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, he was number one on the leaderboard. (laughs) rough year for Rick White. But uh, unplanned but yet still a lot of fun. That's how I would, uh, <laughs> if I had to throw this show into a, a box, that's what I would label it. Unplanned, but a lot of fun. <laughs> Some interesting names on that list lower down, like uh, Jeff Manship, 2016. Uh, Neil Ramirez. Hey, congrats on the win, Jeff. Neil Ramirez. He was the winning pitcher in the walk-off inside the Parker game. Chad Durbin, one of the architects of the bullpen mafia.
1: Rafael Perez Raffy left David Risky John Axford remember that yeah quick era
0: yeah really good at picking movie awards not so good at saving games that year unfortunately seemed like a good dude it would have been fun to cover him when he was good because it seemed like a genuinely pretty decent dude but uh, that didn't that didn't go so well
1: great mustache too
0: yeah that was that was truly terrific sort of like he still he's made an appearance for the Brewers this year what?
1: Yeah. No, he didn't. He did. He went a third of an inning, gave up
0: two runs. Wow. Okay. First outing since 18. I think mean, you have him. You have Scott Casimir still pitching. What year is this? All right. So speaking of things that are truly spectacular, like that mustache, how about Anthony Ghost in the way that he's pitched, but more importantly, because it's not so much about looking at pure performance. What are you really going to learn from a few outings? down the stretch that you didn't already know. At least if you're thinking about it from a smart perspective, probably not a lot. You factor in the whole season. And most importantly, you look at some things below the surface. And there's there's a few things in, in the data that we've gotten so far about Anthony Goes that are really interesting. But I think the number one thing on top of the fact that his four seamer is averaging 99.3 miles per hour, which is terrific. Not quite, you know, it's not quite a manual class A, but it's still Okay. Coming from the left side, I mean that's that's pretty incredible. How about the vertical movement on that pitch? Now I know you, when you're throwing at 99.3 miles per hour, you don't have enough, as much time for gravity to impact it like some others. So thankfully, Statcast kind of takes that into account. Similar pitches, velocity-wise, uh, because it it just gravity's not going to impact that as much. But you look at the the spin that he gets on that and what that leads to. Did you know the percentage rise versus the average, which is You're thinking of right on the fastball, the the rate that it doesn't fall. You want the the ball to stay higher because conceivably that leads to more swing and miss. Percentage rise versus the average. If you set the parameters way, 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 way down, he actually has the most percentage rise versus the average on that four-seamer more than anybody else in all of Major League Baseball as far as percentage rise versus the average. That's pretty darn special if you're getting that much right on the fastball I can see why he's getting so many strikeouts. You're throwing that 100, 100 miles per hour and you have elite vertical movement on it. That's a guy that I want to have in the bullpen. That's a guy mm-hmm. that I want to be sure is rostered and not let get anywhere. And he's got some deception. Go look at his delivery. It's tough to pick out to pick
1: up the baseball out of his hand. Um, he's so interesting. And I know I've been saying this for years and I'm, not quite ready to take some victory lap, um, but you're just looking for him to be able to throw strikes. It's really that simple. He's done it so far in three outings. I I don't want to give away too much because I have a big feature story coming on him Tuesday of this week, but um, he's pitched really well. And he's really grateful for the opportunity. And I think you can, again, like a guy that you can just pencil in there and, and you're starting to think about the potential of this bullpen. I know there's a lot of ifs here and you have to get guys straightened out and like, Karen checks a big part of this, but those three
0: pitching in succession. <laughs> I mean that's yeah, it's that's a hell dream. of a way to start. It's easy to dream it's yeah, I don't think you can quite be penciling in elite performances from him, but I think you look at the data like we're just talking about with the ride on the fastball and you couple that with the fact that it's coming in at hundred miles per hour. And it's not just the fastball. Even the, the slider has some very, very good, well above average vertical movement and drop. And if you're thinking about it, you want to have a pitch that drops a lot compared to a fastball that stays up. That seems like a pretty good combination. I think you it, just looking at the stuff, the stuff is absolutely good enough. That's a major league reliever in terms of stuff. The question is going to be, can he put it in the strike zone enough to just entice hitters to swing at it? Because if he's punishing himself with walks, then yeah, the stuff's not going to matter so much. I think it is. it comes down to as, as simple as throw strikes, at least enough that you're keeping guys swinging at the pitches that are a little bit below the zone or a little bit above the zone. I definitely, I mean, I went from intrigued, let's see what this guy can do, to absolutely this guy needs to be rostered this winter. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. And I think he will be. He's eligible for arbitration, I believe,
1: um, but that's, I mean, he
0: didn't really pitch in the majors this year. So
1: I don't know how exactly that will work, but I don't think it would be too costly. Um, he's walked one guy in four innings. It's given up two hits. Uh, his first career strikeout was of Salvador Perez in his record setting season, which is kind of cool. And he's been, I mean, he's looked even better in his last couple outings. It's its fascinating for a bunch of reasons. I think he, the key with him is going to be kind of like class A. At what point do you need to start mixing in the slider more because guys are going to sit fastball, but you'll, you'll cross that bridge and you'll make adjustments. And this is, this is a long process and he's not at the finish line yet. You're going to have to adapt to major league hitters. Once they start to see you a little more, that probably won't happen until next year. It's kind of like Karen Remember he came up in September of 2019 looked good for like five or six appearances. And then the next year you have some ups and downs and you just you're gonna have to make adjustments as you go i had heard from a couple people that he has worked on a change up as well he has not thrown that in the game yet i'd be curious to see if that actually comes to fruition um to see how he he sequences all of those pitches together but uh yeah the guy is he's really intriguing you don't have i mean who's the left-handed reliever of this team going into next year yeah I mean, henches has been a lot of things, but not consistent or reliable. Uh, Kyle Nelson, you haven't seen since early in the season. Uh, his 40-man spot is, is certainly in jeopardy. So I would think Ghost is kind of your leading contender.
0: And... Yeah, Perez a little bit, but we haven't seen him hardly at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, the lefties aren't as important as they once were, just with the way the rules have dictated. You can't just go left on left anymore. But he certainly looks like someone that can get lefties and righties out. And if he introduces a changeup every once in a while to keep the righties even more honest, then that just adds to his ability. I I really think it's as simple, and at times it does get too simplistic to just tell somebody, throw more strikes. But I think his stuff is truly that good, where if he just throws them enough, he doesn't have to be an elite strike thrower, but just keep them around the zone enough that you're not walking, guys. I mean, that works for Tristan McKenzie. I think, I think he's extremely interesting. That to come back, I I'm not saying that I think he's going to be an elite reliever, and that's never the question. And we, how many times have we said it? You can't get fooled about what's happening in the last two months, two weeks, two games. You, you can't let that happen. So the question is, is it somebody that's worth building on and betting on and putting more development into? And I think that that's a pretty easy yes on him. Yeah, for sure, and. You know, credit to him for obviously
1: just an incredible renaissance. I mean, he reinvented himself, his career, hit a dead end, and this was his only option. And he went back to a ball. I mean, he went from being the tiger starting center fielder to a reliever in training for the Lakeland flying tigers. And it didn't go well there. And God, he how bounced terrifying through. is a flying tiger? <laughs> he bounced to the I can't uh, imagine anything more terrifying.
0: <laughs> what's that in the sky oh just a <laughs> flying freaking tiger
1: yeah it's bad enough with like bees who can sting you and I'll imagine there's <laughs> something that can bite your head off who
0: thought that was a good idea come on <laughs> so so he
1: goes I mean he was with the Tigers and then the Astros and then the, well, the Rangers then the Astros and the Rangers and then the Indians and this is his third season in the organization it's not like this guy just signed here and mean he's thrown 100 miles an hour the whole time it's just taken a lot of instruction a lot of hard work a lot of dedication um a lot of homework to figure out how can you make the mechanics work so that this guy can throw strikes more consistently and be more effective in the strike zone and i think the olympics were big for him too he got to pick the brains of veteran pitchers like edwin jackson and david robertson and scott casimir and guys who i mean robertson same thing like he's he made a major league comeback in his pitching with Tampa now, and, and that happened after the, the Olympics. He, he got the call up Scott Casimir, who was in the major leagues for a minute earlier this season, went to the Olympics now back in the major leagues again. So I think it was a really helpful experience for him. Um, but his journey is, is remarkable. I don't want to spoil everything he's been through, but you know, it's, it's pretty cool from the team standpoint too. It's just another success story for the pitching team and, and, um, you know, that that plays a role ghost was a minor league free agent after 2019 and after 2020, and he wanted to stay because he believed it was his best chance to find the sort of union that would help him get to the majors. And he did. And so now he benefits from it by pitching in the majors, the Indians benefit from it, um, seeing the fruits of that labor. And you've got a really intriguing, Arm in your bullpen for 2022,
0: 2023, I think 2024 if you want. Just thinking again about the Flying Tigers. Couldn't help but think of Jurassic Park. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could. They didn't stop to think about it, if they should. I'm really curious though with, with goes I watched hey, that a few weeks ago. You understand that reference. I'm curious yeah. with goes too because I think a lot of times we think of it, um, we're all guilty of this. You guy gets to the major leagues and it's like, ha ha, he's arrived. The work only just begins for a lot of of players and you know we've we've ripped on the development side for hitters and and lack of development you know what what's the next thing for him we're talking about that with Klaus you know can he maybe add to the shape of a slider to make it better and that I don't know that I'm just asking that question but those are the, the sorts of things that people that work with the data and the coaches and the development team think about with their pitchers and it has worked so beautifully and and so I think of goes, you know, once he's been in the minor league system, so it's not like they're unfamiliar or they weren't all on the same page with development. But once you get in front of the major league coaches, what sort of tweaks happen with him that could push him even more over the finish line to make him more of a finished product? I think that's intriguing because just because what you're seeing now with the fastball that has the elite ride, uh, you know, a slider that has some pretty good vertical drop, what's next for him? What what What's that next development step for him that takes him from being an intriguing prospect to maybe a guy that pitches once the game is decided to actually somebody that you want with the game on the line. And I, I think it's fascinating. What's the next step for him? We see this with so many young pitchers that they get their hands on. What's next? What are they going to be doing with him in the offseason to make him more of a complete product? It's a good question. Maybe he gets back in the outfield, and then you can just
1: <laughs> pinball score. him between the mound and the outfield. Imagine if he and Otani were on the same team. You could just switch him back and forth. Sure. I mean, I don't you can't really do that, but yeah, he could he could give you some flexibility. I, I'm curious I mean, I don't think they would do it. I think he is strictly a pitcher and that's it. But yeah. can you imagine him as like a this this team steals bases as well as any other team in the major leagues? Can you imagine him, you know, especially in like a National League park, pinch running and then pitching or something like that?
0: Yeah, I made the and, and this was a joke at the time, but I mean, this is something to think about. He was, uh, let's see, as I pull this up, the hitting side. In his career, he walked away with a career WRC plus of 81. That forced him to walk away from being an outfielder and convert to pitcher. 81 is what some of these outfielders, they're deciding right now, who stays and who goes. That's like the WRC plus that they're putting up right now. What if Anthony goes is just the answer in the outfield? too? Oh, no. Just throw them on the mound too. see what happens. Interesting story. It's I'm glad that it's not just that, though. I mean, yeah, it was fun. Oh, the guy's an outfielder. He comes up, he gets an opportunity. But even cooler, wouldn't you say, when the guy comes up and he looks truly intriguing? And yeah, I know he's had a, a full major league career, but he's not old by any means. He he could still have a four or five or six year major league career if he really digs in and. and hmm. And takes that next jump. Totally. I mean, the the
1: arm is fresh. So uh, that's that's a nice building block. Keep thinking about that bullpen. And they're going to need to add to it. And they're going to need to figure out if any of these guys who won't crack the rotation should be in the bullpen. But again, you have a really good foundation out there.
0: Or the makings of a really good foundation. So from someone that used to play outfield to someone that played some outfield this year, Nolan Jones just had ankle surgery. Three to five months is the timetable. And so you think, oh, three to five months. And then you start projecting that forward and you think, okay, well, if it's on the five-month end of things, that's starting to bleed into when spring training happens. So where is the organization on that? I know they're going to paint a rosy picture. Oh, he's going to, eh, we're expecting him to be ready for spring training. But realistically is, you know, my first initial thought is, does this push him into territory where we're not even realistically thinking about him until i don't know june or july of next year yeah because my sense would be
1: that sure he could be ready for spring training but he would still be a little bit behind because they wouldn't want to rush him i mean i don't think yeah. he's going to be playing in the first cactus league game so and you i mean i think that's okay it's not like like he didn't have a great season at AAA. I think it's almost better if he's starting in Columbus and you need him to force his way onto the roster, which, as we've talked about. So that's probably the case. And it also allows you to maybe that's not uh hamstring you and, and because maybe you were thinking, Oh, well, if we can't get this guy in free agency or in a trade, well, we do have Nolan Jones here. Um, so he could be an option. No, well now that's not something that's going to be on your mind potentially. So I, I think, it maybe frees you up to do some other things and, and you can, you can just pencil him in for mid season or really just, it's again, it's it's and it's how he's approaching it too. I mean, I talked to him for a while, a couple of weeks ago, right before the surgery. And he said, he said, I've got to prove that I'm one of the best players in triple a before I can get that promotion. So why not just let that happen? And you can kind of see where your roster falls and whether he comes up, to play third base, first base, right field, you've got some options there.
0: Yeah, I, my biggest concern is, and concern's probably too strong of a word, but I can't think of a better one. What does he miss out on this offseason when he's rehabbing? You know, we've talked about, and it's a different situation, but I think similar thought process, they wanted to get Shane Bieber and Aaron Savali back because they wanted them to just focus on the offseason, like they just went through a full season, the arm is in shape, you don't have to build it back up to then have a down period. No, they just go into the offseason and try to be as normal as possible. For Nolan Jones, it's not going to be the case. You know, he's not going to be able to focus on maybe some of the, the things on the hitting side that they would have liked to in a in normal offseason. So I, I guess that's my only, maybe not the only, but one of my biggest concerns with him is you know, what, what does he miss out on this winter than otherwise he would have been capable of doing?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Remember, like, they cite for Bradley Zimmer that a big reason why he didn't quite have the development that they were hoping for was because he just got injured at a really terrible time in his career. And it was a serious injury. I mean, the shoulder is a big part of everything he does except running. And, I mean, you've got, like, he just he missed valuable development time. And mm-hmm. so it, it's a really interesting point. Um, There have been a lot of people who have asked why did he need surgery for an ankle sprain? I'm not a doctor. I can tell you Michael Brantley had a similar operation. If you remember in 2017 when he injured his ankle, I think they were playing Colorado at home. And like he, he like, I don't remember what he did. He just planted wrong. And I just remember him like sitting with his legs out in the outfield grass, just like, like a kid at a picnic and like, couple days later they traded for jay bruce and his season was over until didn't he like pinch run in the playoffs or something
0: or like brantley yeah brantley was hitting cleanup in that was series cleanup?
1: okay but he like there's the one against the yankees that, right? he
0: comes back he makes the roster and then edwin's get, gets hurt in game two and then games three and four in yankee okay, stadium right. michael brantley looks completely overmatched because he's now hitting cleanup as the dh on a squad that he probably shouldn't have been playing in so brantley had a similar operation after the season and he was back
1: for the indians seventh game in 2018
0: yeah and i think we're all pretty surprised about that weren't we i feel like everyone was like oh my gosh i can't believe he's back so soon
1: yeah but i feel like our judgment might have been clouded
0: because of the shoulder issues from a year and a half before Well, everyone was concerned oh you're pushing it too fast or you know he's gonna have a setback of some kind yeah, that's that's a good point. But yeah, and you don't need to rush a guy like Nolan Jones along and I'm not saying that he can't do some things in the offseason. season. I, I just that's something I worry about for with a young player going into an offseason, you want to make sure he's just capable of putting himself in the best position to try to go out and eventually play in the major leagues because if he's not playing for Cleveland at some point in 2022, something has gone wrong. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. At some point. I'm not saying at the Unless you of the just
1: season. unless the lineup is somehow just so Unbelievable and performing at such a high level at all the positions he could possibly play.
0: So, so again, what I'm saying is something is contrastically wrong. Because oh, yes. I'm being realistic here. Are you ready for a random Cleveland person of the day? Because I don't know what Most this segment's going to be called after this week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were all technically former random Indians until we get to a point where we're now talking about Guardians. But for now, this this man pitched in the major league over parts of 18 seasons. Oh my goodness! Eight seasons. Last season was in 2008. He appeared with the Cincinnati Reds for 15 games. Had some okay success. David Weathers. No. Career 416 ERA. He won 74 games, lost 67, 692 career appearances, 150 career starts. Career spanned from 1989. First appeared with the Atlanta Braves and spent a ton of time with them, actually. Uh, Parts of eight seasons. Most in his career with any one team. All the way to 2008. So 1989 to 2008 spans his major league career. Can you just tell me when he pitched for Cleveland? <laughs> no, because I was going to wait to see if you just spoiled it. Steve uh, Reed. No, no. He pitched from uh, for the Cleveland Indians from uh, 1996 to the end of the season. Appeared in 10 games. Joe Roa. No. Appeared in 10 games with Cleveland. Finished a pair of them. He got a 309 ERA pitched 11 and two-thirds innings, allowed 10 hits, four runs, home run, three walks, seven punch-outs, 386 FIP in those 10 appearances in 1996. Oh, man. I I was like seven years old, man. I wasn't paying attention to the roster. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, In his major league career, spent eight years with Atlanta, five seasons with Cincinnati, two years with St. Louis, One with Colorado, one with Boston, one with the Chicago Cubs, one with Anaheim, one with Cleveland, one with Baltimore. It seems like someone who pitched for this long in the Major League should be easy to guess. Uh, I mean, you'll be mad once I reveal it if you don't guess it. Great. How did they acquire him? Uh, In a trade. If I tell you the Mm. trade, you'll probably remember who it is. Left-handed pitcher was acquired from the Baltimore Orioles. (sighs) This is frustrating. Was traded for a Hall of Famer. This usually doesn't happen to me. Traded for a Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer for Jeff Kent. No.
1: See, wait, Jeff Kent is he even a Hall of Famer? No. (laughs) Uh, Traded for a Hall of Famer. Who? Ninety-six. Eddie Murray. Who did they
0: trade for Eddie Murray? Who did they trade trade Eddie Murray? Trade Eddie Murray for
1: left-handed pitcher.
0: Lefty pitcher. Um. Oh, how about this? In his career, he was traded for, at one point, Joe Borowski. That's really exciting. They had Asenmacher. Why do they need another lefty? They just need any innings. I think that was more just trying to get anything for Eddie Murray because the relationship seemed to have soured. I got nothing. What's his middle name? His middle name is Franklin. <laughs> and he was born in Dublin, Ohio. Wow. Went to Dublin high school.
1: Who how did they how did, First did he round just leave his
0: June amateur draft in nineteen eighty six? Did he just leave pick, as a free agent? Overall pick. Yeah, left as a free agent. So not loyal
1: to his hometown team. Home state <laughs> team. Uh, I got nothing. I don't know.
0: Uh, it is one Kent Merker. Merker mother f- Kent Franklin Merker. He got like drilled in the face by line drive once. No comment. I was actually just pulling up his Wikipedia, <laughs> seeing seeing uh, what I could learn. He got murked. Come on, dude. That's that's rough. Merker has taken part in two no-hit games during his career, both the, with the Braves. September 11th, 1991, against the San Diego Padres, a combined effort between Merker, who pitched six innings as the starter, Mark Wollers, who pitched the seventh and eighth innings, and Alejandro Alejandro Peña, who pitched the ninth. Second no-hitter, as they hit the, the Los Angeles Dodgers in 1994. Oh, it was a solo effort. He pitched the no-hitter. How about that? Kent franklin Merker Is Kent short for something? Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, Spotify.
1: Any parting words? Uh, Shout-out to our loyal listener, Andrew. Purchased him a Pepsi on Sunday's game because he's not of legal drinking age um and he wanted to say that he was the one who pointed out that i always say potential instead of potential (laughs) and now i think i gravitate from one to the other at times just because i'm so self-conscious about it uh yeah if you're in kansas city or texas this week i'd love to buy you a beer but otherwise i think you're out of home games so until next year Leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our Patreon. You know the deal.